chapter 22 in the book of Revelation. This is the word of the Lord. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou, do it not. For I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly. And my reward is with me to give every man according to his, as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have set mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. We are today looking at verse 16. This is so far as we have come in the book of Revelation. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. He says, I, Jesus. That's how the verse begins. I, Jesus. Jesus is no doubt of it. It's Jesus speaking. Sometimes we wonder in the Bible, is it, you know, in particular in the book of Revelation, is it Jesus speaking or is it an angel? Uh, and here it says Jesus is speaking. Now, Jesus, the word, the name Jesus is not an arbitrary name, you know. Uh, Mary Joseph did not have, you know, the ultimate baby boy names book to choose from, and they didn't discuss it. 
uh, what, uh, what to name him. Matthew one twenty one says, uh, the angel says to Mary, thou shalt call his name Jesus. And then says, for he shall save his people from their sins. And what that means is, he's, uh, the angel is, is saying, and Mary understood what that meant, because the name Hebrew name, Jesus, uh, is Yeshua. Yeshua. It's also the masculine, uh, well, that's the masculine form, Yeshua. And Yeshua means salvation. So Yeshua is also short for uh, Yehoshua, which is in English Joshua. Uh, and Joshua is a, uh, a type of Jesus. Uh, as we call it a type. Uh, prototype, basically, is the English way of looking at it. Uh, so uh, that word... Uh, Joshua, or in Hebrew, uh, Yehoshua, means Yahweh the Lord is salvation. Yahweh is salvation. That's what that Hebrew translates to. So it is very highly appropriate that this is the name of the Savior of the world. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The Messiah's name is explained on the basis of what he will do, save his people from their sins. And he by the way, there's don't overlook, it says his people. It doesn't say he will save everyone from their sins, does it? It says he will save his people, meaning there are people that are not his people. So Jesus is, is saying here in the 16th verse, I, Jesus, your Savior, in other words, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches, which reminds us once again of his love and care for his body, his people, the church. He's not just saying take it to the seven churches. He means take it to all the churches, and therefore that's all the people of God. So this book of Revelation is not just, as we obviously know, just not meant for seven churches in Asia Minor 2,000 years ago, and now they're out of business, so we don't need to read the book of Revelation anymore. No, that's ridiculous, obviously. It's the word of God. Verse 16 is another testimony that this revelation comes directly from the Lord Jesus for his church. And it's a message for John about what is going to happen in the church and in the world from John's time, the first century, all the way to the end of the world. So it includes our time as well. Uh, He sent his angel, it says, He's a commander of all the angels. We know that. Uh, he has sent his angel to tell John. So he tells his angel, go and tell John these things. John, and then he tells John in the first chapter of Revelation, go and take it to the angels or messengers or pastors of the seven churches. And they are to give it to the people. And as I said before, those seven churches, which we had the opportunity to visit this past January, visit the ruins of, of every one of them, uh, are in a Roman postal route. And uh, so it was uh, very likely that what John did was write these letters, physical letters, uh, and got them in the Roman postal route system. And I don't know if the Roman authorities delivered the, the letters of the book of Revelation or not, but they were certainly using that, that postal route to do that. But even Christ is the commander of the angels. He says, I've sent my angel. Uh, he's the commander of all angels. And we know from Scripture, even the demons obey Christ. You know, every time that he casts demons out of people, what happens? The demons obey him. Uh, and he tells them to go into, uh, go into these herd of pigs, and they go on the herd of pigs, uh, whatever it might be. So they, they obey Christ. Now, he says these things. 
I I've sent my angel to testify to these things in the churches. These things refers to the entire book of Revelation, the whole contents of the book. And so we can have full assurance that everything prophesied in the book of Revelation will come true, those parts that haven't come true yet. Uh, we have the promise of Jesus Christ himself, the author of the Revelation, the Alpha and Omega, you know, the first uh, letter and last letter of the Greek alphabet. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's God omnipotent. So the whole book of Revelation is about the future of the Church of Christ, particularly in the context of world history. Do you know that the, what the purpose of history is? Why God permits there to be history? For one thing, if you want to put it that way. The purpose of history is to serve the Church of Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of everything that happens, is for the good of God's Church. Please look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of the understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. See, he gave him to be the head over all things to the church. In Romans 8.28, which you all know, he works all things for what? The good of his people, the good of his church. All those who are called according to his purpose. Uh, all things. See, history, unlike what a lot of people believe, history is not random. It's not just a random series of events. Um, it's not controlled ultimately by human decisions. Whether, whatever you hear about whatever's happening around the world, those aren't random events. Elections are not, election next month, that's not going to be a random event based on how many people, it could go either way, how many people vote and how they decide to vote. It's preordained by the Lord. Whatever happens in your life, it's not random. It's not chance. There's no such thing as chance or accidents or luck. How much income you have isn't random. The circumstances under which you live and work is not random. Where you live is not random. Where you physically are right now is not random. You know, if you ever want to know where God wants you in life, just look down at your feet and see where you are. That's where God wants you right now in your life. You're exactly where he wants you. All those things appear to be the result of chance, randomness, people's decisions, your decisions, other people's decisions, but they ultimately are not. The Lord uses, these are called means, right? Means to achieve his foreordained purposes. The means which makes it appear that events are random could have gone a different way. They are not the end because the end belongs to the Lord. This is a tough theological point 
We don't fully understand it because how can we be free and have, quote, free will? Well, I remember a quote by Spurgeon. I should put it, look it up. But uh, he said, I've never seen free will. Uh, he said, I've seen, uh, I've seen enslaved wills. And that's the only kind of wills I've ever seen, either enslaved to Christ or enslaved to the devil. But he says, free will? I don't know anything about that. Never heard of it. Never seen, I've heard of it, but never seen it. Uh, and that's a mystery. Uh, Lorraine Bettner, in his book, um, not Predestination, the Reformed Doctrine, thank you. The Reformed Doctrine of Predestination, which is a fantastic book, and I, but despite the title, sounds like it's some you know seminary textbook. It's very easy reading. Well, I shouldn't say it's easy reading. It deals with deep subjects, but it's very well written and very clear. You got to you know sometimes read it and say, oh, I'm sure I get that. But in it, he he postulates that the Lord sets up. Let me put it this way: We don't make decisions. Nobody makes decisions under total free will. It's impossible. Think about it. Total free will would be, you know, you just go out and kill somebody or you you go out and, you know, do something absolutely crazy, you know, decide to drink poison because you feel like it. Why don't you do those things? Because of circumstances you have been, you've learned, I shouldn't drink poison because it kills people. I shouldn't step in front of a speeding car because it would kill me or injure me. You know, and you think about certain things. Well, why do you do? Why do you make decisions because of influences in your life, right? Like the influence that you learn not to drink poison. Well, you make all so every choice you make, it, you balance out. Well, should I do this or should I do that? And I'm not talking about some obvious like drinking poison, but you know, should I go here or should I go there? Should I take that trip? Should I take that trip? Should I buy this gift for her or that gift for her? Whatever it might be. You think about it, and you make decisions based on what we would call logic, right? Where do those influences come from? And Bettner postulates that the Lord gives us influences, and we make decisions in his will because of the influences that he's put in our, in our minds. Something to think about. I'm not saying that's, that's and even Bettner doesn't say this is absolutely gospel truth from the Bible, but he says it's, a, it's an interesting theory that could be extrapolated from scripture put it that way. Um, but my point is the Lord uses means to achieve his foreordained purposes but that's not the end the end belongs to the Lord the Bible does say the Lord controls everything that happens uh, and I started doing you know looking in the scripture to, to get verses and I finally got so many I just said okay that's enough uh, there are so many uh, that indicate that I'll just give you a few uh, Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap. You know, the uh, what's another word for the lot? The Straws. Chance, what? Straws. Straws, you know, drawing straws, if you will, or throwing dice or whatever. Uh, the lot, this gets where the word lottery, by the way, is cast into the lap, but the, or cast on the ground or whatever, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. He's the one who determines how those dice are going to come up or who gets the black stone or the short straw. Ephesians 1.11, in whom we also have obtained an inheritance being predestinated. There's that terrible word that people hate, but it's in the Bible. According to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will. He works all things after the counsel of his own will. Psalm 33.10, the Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to nothing. He milketh the devices of the people, maketh the devices of the people to no, of none effect. The Lord brings the counsel of the heathen to nothing. He's in charge of their thoughts. 
Second uh, Chronicles 36.22, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation. Cyrus made a proclamation because the Lord stirred up his spirit to do it. Romans 9.17, for the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, back in Moses' time, even for the same purpose have I raised thee up, the Lord, that I might show my power in thee and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. And finally, Acts 2.23, him, referring to Christ, being delivered by the... Delivered, okay. It's talking about Christ being delivered to the Jewish authorities and ultimately the Roman authorities being crucified. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. It was up by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. It was God's decision to send Christ to the cross. It was God's decision to, to have uh, Judas betray him, as we also learn in Acts. Christ is in control of every event. The Lord is in control. Christ is in control of every event, of all of history. Everything he told John that would happen in the first century and between the first century and today has happened exactly as he said it would. In at least one case, even down to the very day, centuries before it happened. Uh, In our sermon series, we've seen how precisely history reveals the meaning of prophecy. The book of Revelation foretold the rise of the papacy. It foretold the exact day that Martin Luther would nail the 95 theses to the door of Wittenberg, uh, igniting the Protestant Reformation and changing the world forever. You you may remember that sermon I did some years ago now, but it's on sermonaudio.com. Uh, The book of Revelation foretold the the creation of Islam and its rise and its future fall. The French Revolution, which also changed the world's paradigm from agrarianism to humanism and socialism. Uh, Some wise theologians saw the French Revolution predicted in the book of Revelation and wrote about it before it happened. You can read their books today. So, what is to come... According to the revelation of Jesus Christ, we've looked at this a lot in the, in the past years, looking at this book. I'll just remind you quickly, among other things, the increasing consolidation of political and religious power into the hands of, a, of an elite who control the world's economies, nations voluntarily surrendering their sovereignty, allowing their people to be governed and taxed by a world authority, which is itself governed by a few elites, all in the name of ending wars and ending poverty and, and ending hunger. And it's all in the name of peace and prosperity. By peace, they mean everyone lives in a police state. By prosperity, they means everyone is given what the government determines will keep them strong enough to be producers and dependent enough on government that they'll be afraid to rebel. Uh, this society will require abortions and it will require euthanasia to keep populations down and to eliminate those who consume more than they produce. Um, Prince Philip, Queen Elizabeth's uh, husband, uh, in his autobiography, he writes, if there is such a thing as reincarnation, I would like to come back as a virus and wipe out I think it's 90% or 95% of the world's population because we just have too many people. He writes that and says that in his book. You can look it up. All of this, of course, is going to be in the name of peace and prosperity and ending world hunger and and all that. 
And it doesn't it remind you of Isaiah 5.20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness. In the book of Revelation, as we've seen, it shows the rise of the ecumenical movement, eventually morphing the religion, the major religions of the world into one. And uh, it'll, it'll ultimately be controlled by the Vatican, uh, which, by the way, is chief among the richest treasuries of the world. It's, it's amazing to see when you start looking into how much money and power the Vatican has, but they keep it so quiet. It's hard to keep the money invisible, you know, just <laughs> go to the Vatican and see it. But uh, as far as their power behind the scenes, how, how they are a political power, because all the Vatican's on a political power, they have, we have an ambassador to the Vatican. They have an ambassador to us. They have ambassadors all over the world, back and forth, just as any political power does. Of course they're a political power. Um, so this unholy, I'll just finish up what Revelation certainly appears to teach this unholy alliance of one world government and one world religion will thankfully be short-lived as the civil government will then turn on the religious power and destroy it and then the end will come I I realize that sounds fantastic to those who have not studied the book of Revelation or heard the other sermons in this series so I urge you to do that don't take my word for it be a Berean Compare scripture with scripture. Uh, you don't see what a word means. You don't understand a word. What's this referring to? What is this? A beast with comes out of the sea and all that. Go out, go into the rest of scripture. Find, go to concordance and find out where those words are in scripture. That's how scripture defines what it's talking about. Now, what does it mean when the heavens are rolled up like a scroll and the and the moon is turned to blood? Well, is that literally true? Well, look in and find out. Compare scripture with scripture. Read the best commentaries like Dr. Francis Nigel Lee and Ernst Henstenberg and uh, H. Grattan Ganess and J.A. Wiley and John Calvin. Now, Calvin didn't write a commentary on the book of Revelation, but is in, in the Institutes of the Christian Religion in Book 4, Chapter 7. He writes of the rise of the papacy with proof from Daniel and Paul uh, and uh, coming, coming from Daniel and Paul and saying much the same thing as Scripture says in Revelation. Okay. The last part of verse 16. I am the root and offspring of the bright... Let me start again. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Christ is called the root of David twice in the Bible. The other is Revelation 5.5. The Greek word both times means the human genealogy. The root is the human genealogy. Now that might be confusing and I know that there are people with degrees in agronomy or culture here. Um, when I first read I thought, well, the root comes before the tree, right? But actually, if I'm right, it doesn't, right? They both come from the seed at the same time. One grows up, one grows down. If, I, if I'm right, tell me later if I'm wrong, but I think, that, I think I'm right. Uh, so Romans... Uh, the reference here is uh, one reference is Romans fifteen twelve, and again Isaiah saith there shall be a root of Jesse and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles in him shall the Gentiles trust Paul quoting Isaiah so humanly Christ is in the family line of David genealogically he's in the family line of David uh, Matthew 1 1 the book of the generation of Jesus Christ the son of David uh, Romans 1.3 Jesus Christ our Lord which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh 
So David fleshly, humanly, represents the covenant line. Christ is humanly part of David's family. Spiritually, he's the root, the living foundation of God's covenant people, of course. Uh, He's the perfection and fulfillment of the covenant, but humanly speaking, he's part of David's line. Uh, He was the offspring of David, according to the promise in Scripture, that the Messiah would be descended from David's line. Uh, Psalm 132, the Lord hath sworn in truth unto David, he will not turn from it of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. Christ referring to Christ. Of the fruit, you know, in your in your human line, David, your family line, uh, I will set Christ upon his throne. So Christ is the God man. 100% God, yet 100% man, with no intermixture. Uh, Westminster Confession of Faith says it very well in chapter 8, part 2. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, being very equal, excuse me, being very an eternal God of one substance and equal with the Father, did, when the fullness of time was come, take upon him man's nature, with all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof, yet without sin, being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary of her substance, so that two whole, perfect, and distinct natures the Godhead and the manhood were inseparably joined together in one person without conversion, composition, or confusion. Which person is very God, or truly God, and truly man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man? So, if we're confused about what, who Christ is and what the natures of him being a man and being God at the same time, uh, we'll get confused in our theology and we'll come up with some crazy heresies. Uh, we have to know what Scripture says about him, that he's totally God, but at the same time totally man. He isn't God sometimes and man sometimes, or he isn't totally God. And, and a, you know, Some of the her- great heresies of the church were that, that Christ was uh, an angel, uh, that he was never really a human being, he just appeared to be a human being, uh, or that he was a human being, and uh, the, the, the things that, that happened, uh, his miracles and things were done by the Father, not by, not by Christ himself. Uh, or that uh, they try to separate the Trinity in, in ways it cannot be separated. Uh, so there are all sorts of heresies. Or, or that the, there's modalism where sometimes there's only one God, but sometimes he acts like the Son, and other times he acts like the Holy Ghost, and other times he acts like the Father, but there are three persons. So you have all these heresies all based on not understanding who Christ is and the, uh, how the natures are, you know, his natures of, of God and of man are 100% without confusion, without an intermixture. In verse 16, Jesus calls himself the bright and morning star. This may come from Numbers 24:17. There shall come a star out of Jacob. In Revelation 2:28, Christ says, And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, to pieces. Even as I received of my Father, and I will give him the morning star. Okay, Christ says, I will give him the morning star, he who overcomes. And yet here in verse 16, Jesus himself says, I'm the morning star. So obviously he's saying, give, give him himself, the one who overcomes, the one who keeps his commandments. Matthew Henry says about this verse, Christ is the morning star. He brings day with him into the soul. 
the light of grace of glory, and he will give his people that perfection of light and wisdom, which is requisite to the state of dignity and dominion that they shall have in the morning of the resurrection. So those who keep their first love, what we just read, to those who overcome, they will receive Jesus Christ himself. And I want to finish with, wrap up with this morning star. Morning star. If you get up before dawn breaks, and I know a lot of you do, you often see the morning star. Right, Chuck? If I get out of my office early. <laughs> if you get out of your office early enough. Yes, you're right. But yeah, you often see the morning star when you get up. It's also known as the day star. It's very bright. It's in the east. Very bright. The brightest star in the heavens. Uh, it's actually, uh, it's usually Venus. Sometimes it's Mercury, but the brightest one is Venus when it's there. And it's the reason it's bright is that it's right before dawn. The sky is not bright, but it's, it's, the sun is reflecting off of it. And the, so it's, it's extremely bright. In astronomical terms, its brightness is of the first magnitude. There's no other brighter, there are no brighter stars than the first magnitude, as you might imagine. Now, the morning star is in the east, and it announces the rising of the sun. It hangs in the sky like a beacon, and all the other stars have disappeared. And then the sun comes up. Before the sun rises, the morning star appears. As dawn grows nearer, but before it breaks, the morning star grows even brighter. Even as the sky is darkest, it's one of the most beautiful objects in, in creation. You've heard it said it's always darkest before the dawn. Well, I looked it up. It's true. It's not just the saying. Uh, at no point in the night will it get darker than just before the sky in the east begins to get a bit lighter. And the morning star shines brightest at that moment. Just before the first refracted rays of the sun begin to just light, start to light up the eastern horizon. The comparison to Christ is obvious. He's the morning star. He's announcing that the world has been living in darkness. But the dawn of his rising is about to break forth. So from now on, when you see the morning star, think of Christ and his coming. The morning star is the first thing that catches your eye in the morning. It should, should from now on remind you that Christ should be the first object of your thoughts each day. Albert Barnes said, In each trial, each scene of sorrow, let us think of the bright star of the morning as it rises on the darkness of night, the emblem of the Savior rising on our sorrow and gloom. I'll finish with 1 Corinthians 4, 6. God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank Thee for the morning star, the physical morning star that we can see and remind us of Christ, announcing the, the coming of Him coming in glory, that our long night will be over, and that we'll be with Him in the new heaven and new earth forever. Father, we know that for some, many of us, most of us, everyone who's ever lived up to now, uh, it's not the, the end of the world has come in the form of their death, and it may very well come in the form of our death. We may not live to see the, the return of Christ, but we can look at that morning star and be reminded that death is just a gateway and that to, to put all the darkness and troubles of this life behind and that we'll be with Christ forever. And we thank you for that, Father. 
Lord, we thank you for such precious salvation, Father. For it is in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray.